Well, hey, we're going to start off this morning uh, by having hopefully a little bit of fun. We're going to play a, a little game. You can play with the person who is sitting next to you, or you can just kind of play on your own if you'd like. Uh, I'm going to give you the name of a common phobia, and then you have to try to guess if you know what that is about. So just kind of whisper it to the person next to you, and uh, we'll see if you, if you get it right. The first one, we'll, we'll start off with an easy one. The first one is uh, arachnophobia. You guys know what that is? Yeah, the fear of spiders. That's an easy one. Uh, stats say that 48% of women have this, uh, which is why they typically send the men with a shoe to go and kill it, of which 12% of those men are like, uh-uh, you're doing it. You're on your own. I ain't doing that. So arachnophobia, do you know what acrophobia is? Turn and uh, tell the person next to you what you think acrophobia is. Oh, I think I heard it. It is the fear of heights. Anybody else struggle with that one? Yeah, I've got that one. They say about 5% of the population struggles with that. I think that they're wrong. Uh, I think there's a lot more of us that struggle with that one. Uh, Ophidiophobia. What do you think that one is? Tell your neighbor what you think ophidiophobia is. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that one right or not, but it is the fear of snakes. Anybody get that one right? Anybody? Oh, yeah, maybe. Uh, there, there are people who have this phobia that will actually avoid certain cities because they have more snakes in them, to which I say, that is a smart move right there. Like, if you know, why in the world would you put yourself in that situation? Uh, okay, here is the next one. Hippo, okay, I, I practiced this all week, all right? You ready? Hippopotamus monstrosity, monstrosis equipedeliophobia. Something like that. What do you think that is? Well, you don't shout it out. Yes, that's right. It is the fear of long words. That is like the worst name if you've got that fear. Like, what do you have? I, I, no, I'm not going to tell you. I can't tell you. There are people who actually have that fear. And then the last one here is ataxophobia. Uh, whisper to your neighbor what you think ataxophobia might be. Taxophobia is the fear of messes. Now, I'm not saying I have a taxophobia, but I'm also not saying I don't have a taxophobia. My wife would say, oh no, you're definitely on the spectrum somewhere of that. And so like, it's not that I have a fear of messes, it's just that I don't like them with a passion, right? Like, I try to avoid it as much as I can. So you can imagine how, um, how great the last six years of my life have been since we had kids. Uh, because here's the thing, like, kids are gross. There, there's just no getting around it. Kids are, are just gross. And, and so, you know, over the last six years, I've got to enjoy things like this. Uh, we've got some pictures. Um, it's Nora on her first birthday. Uh, enjoying her cupcake. Adeline, that is actually a Boston Common downtown. And I'm like, sweetie, you're walking home. I'm sorry, that's, uh, you are a mess right now. There's dirt smeared all over her face and everything. And of course, after enjoying some ice cream, which I mean, to be fair, I kind of look like that too after enjoying ice cream. So I'll let her have a pass on that one. She got that for me. And then this one, oh my goodness. So here's the best part about this picture. Of course, you know, strawberry picking, Nora, we're like, um, we actually need to charge her weight uh, in strawberries because she like ate that many while we were out picking. Uh, but we had literally just run out of wet wipes um, when I took this picture, which is like, that is catastrophic in my book. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with you right now. Um, you are such a mess. And you know, 
kids are cute and cuddly and all, but um, the truth is, is that kids have just either been cleaned up from a mess, um, they're about ready to go and make another mess, uh, or they're just currently in the stage of being a mess. And, and as difficult as you know this was with my girls growing up, and it really wasn't that bad from what my psychologist says, I believe her, uh, but nothing compares uh, to, to this video. Let's, let's, check out, let's check out this video. What are you two doing? <laughs> What are you doing? I know. What have you been doing to your brother? I know. You don't know? I just scrubbed him. You were scrubbing him? Yeah. Oh, Ethan. Dad. <laughs> Hi. Dad. I knew you two must have been getting into something, but I just didn't imagine it would be this. Oh. <laughs> Does it feel good? Uh. Yeah. We have to go give you a bath now. Oh. Emily, no more. Okay. This is another view. <laughs> oh, you're beautiful. It's just on me. Emily, you're an artist. But let's not do this again, okay? <laughs> I love that video. Well, simultaneously wanted to run into a corner and hide. It just makes me, makes me cringe. But, but the truth is, like, messes are just a part of childhood. Like, you cannot get around it. And, and what I've learned over the last six years of fatherhood, I've kind of actually come to appreciate messes um, because I've learned that um, there's a lot of joy in making a mess. Uh, there's also a lot of learning that's happening in the mess. Uh, there's, you know, learning tactile skills, but there's also some development that is happening. And really, like, messes are kind of, of an adventure. And it's during this phase of life that, that children, even though they're making messes, they're learning some skills that are going to nourish them and, and prepare them for the rest of their life. And the same is true um, for new believers. Like when someone crosses over the line of faith and they start following Jesus, they're learning things that are going to set them up for a lifetime of following him. And, and sometimes, honestly, that's a little messy, but it's a natural part of their spiritual development. So we're in week three of our series called Four Chairs. And during this series, we're talking about like the different stages that we're in when we're on this pathway to spiritual development and growth. And last week, we talked about chair one, uh, which we kind of used a camp chair to illustrate. We said the camp chair is for that person uh, who's not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe they have a lot of questions. They have a lot of doubts. And they're not ready to really make a firm commitment to Jesus. And so they're just kind of hanging out in the camp chair, taking it all in. But really, it's easy for them to just pick up that chair and move on to the next thing. They haven't really made a firm commitment to faith yet. And as we come into uh, chair two, the chair that we have used kind of as an analogy for this stage of our spiritual development is, is the high chair. And like we don't mean that in a demeaning way at all because... Because the high chair is a natural part of a child's development. And, and the same is true for when we develop spiritually. There are just things that are very natural in this part of our spiritual development. Um, to, to me, this is one of the most exciting phases in a person's spiritual development. like Because everything is new, everything is, is an adventure. They have all of these first-time experiences that many of us who have been following Jesus for a while, we've kind of just become accustomed to. We've kind of just become used to. You know, they're, they're here and they're experiencing for the first time not just a head knowledge that God loves them, but a heart knowledge that God actually does love them and that Jesus has forgiven their sin. 
they, they begin to, to understand what it's like to actually pray to God and know that he is listening. They're taking these really cool first steps of faith. And like, even if they fall, they're going to fall forward. They're, they're learning uh, new things in scripture. They're hearing stories for the very first time that many of us have been hearing, like maybe since we saw it on a flannel graph board in, in Sunday school. And so like when we hear the stories, we're like, oh yeah, that's cool, but I've heard it. I've heard it all before. When we were serving in Rhode Island, uh, I was teaching a series through the life of David. And if you don't know the New England culture, uh, it's very post-Christian. I guess it is very post-Christian. So a lot of folks, when they would come to our church, uh, they had no church background. So they didn't grow up hearing the stories. All of this was kind of new and fresh to them. Uh, and, and I remember one Sunday I was preaching. Uh, we had gone through the life of David. I had talked about how God chose David. Um, we talked about how David was called a man after God's own heart. And then we got to the part in David's story where he sinned um, with Bathsheba, had an affair with her. Bathsheba got pregnant. Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, was one of David's mighty men. He betrayed a close friend of his. And so to try to cover up his sin, he tells Uriah, hey, come back home. I need to talk to you about some stuff. And while he's back home, he tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife trying to cover up his sin. And Uriah's like, no, how can I do that when my fellow soldiers are out on the battlefield? I'm just going to sleep right here. And he's like, no, 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 you really want to go and sleep with your wife. He doesn't do it. And so eventually David sends Uriah to the front lines of battle where he would be killed, all in an attempt to cover up his sin. And as I'm, as I'm sharing this account, there's a young lady named Nicole who is still like wet from the baptismal waters. And she's sitting right in the middle of the theater. And I can hear her while I'm sharing this account. I can hear her giving commentary back to me. She's going, no, 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 he's not really going to do that. How could he do that? Like she is verbally giving commentary back because for Nicole, this was the very first time she had heard that story. And she could not wrap her mind around God knowing that David was going to do this and yet still describing him after, as a man after his own heart. All of this was new and fresh and exhilarating to her as she heard it for the first time. But for many of us, we hear that story, we're like, eh, eh, I've heard it. And we miss it. And so for people who are in this stage, everything is new. Everything is fresh and it's an adventure. It's a beautiful stage. It's a beautiful stage. People who are in chair two, they need some of the very same things that, that children do. They need a loving, nurturing environment where they can grow and learn how to take their first steps of faith. And, and the Bible has a couple of words that, that, it, that it uses to describe some folks who are in chair two. The first word is infant. Infant, meaning that they are totally dependent on others, just like a newborn baby is. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, 13, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. So like there is a time in our spiritual development where, yeah, we do need the milk of the gospel. We need the basics of the Christian faith. We eventually need more than that, but we need that at the beginning. And that's a valuable stage of our development. The second word that the Bible uses to describe people in chair two is child. John, 
First um, John chapter three, verse seven, as he writes this letter to, to, to folks that he cared deeply and passionately about over and over, multiple times in this letter, he refers to them as my dear children, my dear children, my dear children. In verse, chapter three, verse seven, he says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. It's kind of the, the equivalent as a parent, we tell our kids, hey, don't talk to strangers, right? Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. And when he uses that word children, it's the same word that a father would use for their child, that a grandparent would use for their grandchildren. It is a term of affection and endearment. It's not a, it's not a phrase of child, infant. It's not derogatory at all. It's saying this is who you are and it is valuable. We want you to know some really important things. We would never condemn a child or an infant for not knowing how to feed themselves or provide for their own needs or know how to walk coming out of the womb. And the same is true for those who are new to faith. Like We need to give them room to grow and explore this new life that they have found in Christ. And we need to come right alongside of them and help them in this journey. And like childhood, like the joy is in the journey. It's normal and it's natural to grow, to make mistakes and to hopefully learn from them. It's normal and natural to be dependent on others and then learn how to feed ourselves and then how to walk and how to talk and how to begin to take care of ourselves. And that means that like actual children need parents, spiritual children need spiritual parents who are going to come alongside of them and nurture them and help them along the way. Because here's the thing. Like children, relationships take time to grow. And your relationship with God is no exception. Like it takes time to grow. Jesus honored that with his disciples. He gave them time to grow. He, he, before he sent them out and challenged them to deeper steps of faith, first thing he did when he called his followers was said, hey, come to, come to this party with me. And this is where he did his first miracle and turned water into wine. I mean, how can you not like that guy? <laughs> the first thing, come follow me and let's go celebrate. Let's go party. And you're going to have some of the best wine that you've ever had, by the way. And so he draws them and he just has, say, come and experience these things with me. And then as they grow, he sends them out to take their next steps. So in a lot of ways, as we help the, the spiritually new and, and those who are infants, we're helping them take their same steps. It mirrors a lot of the things that we do as parents with our children. The first thing, we have to teach them how to eat. Those who are new to faith need to learn how to feed themselves on God's word, how to open it up, how to dig into it, how to ask questions of what they just read, questions like, what does this say and what does this mean and then how do I begin to apply it to my life? We need to teach them how to sit under solid biblical teachers who are going to give them the meat of God's word at appropriate times. And this is important because Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus modeled the importance of making God's word central in our lives. And, and what holds true is that nothing, like if you want to grow in your faith today, absolutely nothing is going to determine that more than spending personal time in God's word. Beyond anything else, if you want to grow in your faith, nothing, nothing is going to help you do that more than spending time in God's Word. And so we need to teach new believers how to do that. And we need to teach them how to walk. Teach them how to walk. 
And our girls were uh, very different when it came to learning how to walk. Um, Adeline, our oldest, uh, she was 12 months and one week, I think, before she actually took her first steps on her own. Um, Nora, Nora was like watching her going, I want to do that. And she learned how to walk when she was eight months and one week. Like I look at videos of that now. I'm like, oh my goodness, you were still a baby. Like you were so tiny. How in the world were you walking? But she was up there taking those first steps. And even though they took them at different times, one of the things as I watch back on those videos, one of the things that I noticed is that they are surrounded by people who love them, who are encouraging them, who are cheering them on, saying, you can do it, you can do it. Come on, sweetie, you can do it. And if they started to fall, they're there, you know, we were there right there to grab their hand and to help them. And like as new believers begin to take their first steps of faith, we need to be right there to help them. We need to be there to hold their hands, to to encourage them, to cheer them on, to say, you can do it. And if they stumble, if they fall, we need to help them get back up and say, it's okay. Keep trying. Keep trying. And we teach them to walk in the way of, of love, the way that Jesus modeled for us, the way that hopefully we are walking in ourselves. Jesus says in John 13, 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We teach them how to walk in the way of God's love. And then we teach them how to talk. We teach them how to pray. If you've ever tried to teach a kid how to pray, you know how fun this can be. Um, their trust and their authenticity uh, is, is uh, it's beautiful, and sometimes it's really, uh, really funny. A buddy of mine sent me some prayers that actual kids prayed before, and uh, it's hard not to love these. One of them was, dear God, thanks for the little brother, but I asked for a puppy. <laughs> Another one, dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? Um, I think that's kind of a fair question, actually. That's a, that's a pretty silly-looking animal. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good there now. <laughs> And then you got to love uh, the, the honesty of this one. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. <laughs> like prayer is simply just talking to God about what's on your heart. There's no right way. There's no magical words to say. It's just praying. It's just talking to God and then sitting in silence and listening. We need to teach new believers how to talk to their heavenly Father who loves them and who's listening to them. And finally... Just like children, we need to teach new believers how to clean up. Our girls' bedroom and playroom is on the, the second floor of our house. Uh, praise Jesus. It is a wonderful thing because uh, downstairs, you know, we're able to, to keep it a little bit clean. The mess typically is contained upstairs. Every now and then it'll start to fall down the stairs. And so we'll, we'll say, hey, girls, go up there. And if we haven't been up for a while, you know, you go upstairs and you're wading through a pile of toys and stuffed animals and dirty clothes. And you're like, I was just up here yesterday. How did this happen? Um, and so we have to encourage them to, to clean up because the thing about messes is that they don't just clean up themselves, right? Like, unless you're Mary Poppins and you can start singing a song and doing all of this, messes don't clean up themselves. You actually have to go and do something about it. And, and the same is true for those of us who are in Christ. We, we need to learn how to clean up the mess of our sin. And fortunately, God has made it incredibly easy for us to do. He's made it incredibly easy for us to do. For those of us who are in Christ, we just need to confess. 
We need to embrace his forgiveness that is ours through Jesus. We need to trust in the power of God's spirit to set us back on the right path. I'll never forget the first time that I truly understood Hebrews 10, 14. It's one of my favorite scriptures of all time. It says, for by one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever. All right, think about this. Like, don't miss this. If you're wrestling with guilt, if you're wrestling with shame this morning, if you are stuck in a sin that feels like it is keeping you from being loved by God, you need to hear this this morning. By the sacrifice of Jesus, God has made you perfect when you placed your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't anything that you did. It's what Jesus did on your behalf. God has made you perfect. In his eyes, you are a 10. For those he is in the process of making holy. He has made perfect forever those who he is making holy. Meaning that we are perfect in God's sight. When he looks down on you, he does not see your mess. He does not see your sin if you are in Christ. He sees you as his perfect child, even as you are in the process of being made holy, even as you are some days acting like a three on your way to a six or a seven. That doesn't change God's affection for you. We need to learn how to clean up our mess because undealt with sin is going to begin to root itself into our heart and it becomes destructive. And that's for those of us who, it doesn't matter what stage we're in in our spiritual development, that's true. But we especially need to let early new believers know how they clean up that mess, how they deal with their sin so it does not set in and take root. The beauty of chair two is that we get to help new believers find joy in this relationship with Jesus. Billy Graham once said that being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow more like Jesus. And we have the joy of coming alongside of folks who are in chair two and helping them experience the beauty of that relationship. Which, let me tell you, that means that that relationship needs to be beautiful to us as well. Like Jesus and, and, and who we are in him and our love for God, that needs to be beautiful as well if we're going to help others experience the beauty of that. We have the joy of coming alongside and helping them take those first steps of faith and seeing their faith grow right before their eyes. Let me close with this. Uh, as beautiful as chair two is, and as important as this chair is to our spiritual growth and development, this is also the chair that a lot of Christians get stuck in. They get stuck right here in chair two. And, and, and chair two is, is perfect for a spiritual infant, a spiritual child as they are learning and they're developing and they're growing, all of these things. But eventually, we should grow out of chair two. But what happens is that for a lot of Christians, they grow out of chair two, the high chair, and right over here into the easy chair. And they pop their feet up, and they kick back, and they relax. And what happens is the needs, listen to me, the needs of the person who is in the high chair become the demands 
of the person in the easy chair. They begin to demand, feed me, serve me, entertain me. And if you don't, watch out because I'm going to throw a fit. Or I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go play somewhere else. Like chair two is perfectly acceptable for those who are new to faith. For those who are finding their footing, taking their first steps. But I tell you, this is an ugly chair for Christians to get stuck in. And it completely misses the heart of God. And the truth is, um, the church, not just Sherwood Oaks, but just the church in America, we've done a really good job of discipling people to feel really, really comfortable in chair two. Like we've encouraged you. We said, hey, come in here, sit back, relax. We'll have great music, a message that hopefully you can stand and don't fall asleep to. We'll entertain you, we'll serve you, and we will require very, very little. And so really, the American church, we've done a good job of discipling people to be super comfortable in the easy chair. But man, God wants so much more for us than this. He wants us to get out of this chair and take our next steps of faith towards him. He wants us to to go from from demanding to be served to stepping out and living and loving like Jesus and serving others. What happens when we kick back and relax? We put our faith on cruise control and we end up stunting our spiritual development. And so for a lot of Christians, they become fat babies. They absorb and they absorb and they absorb and they never give a single thing. They never start walking and living and serving like Jesus. Eventually, we need to grow out of chair two and into chair three, out of taking our first steps of faith and being completely dependent on others into a growing, vibrant faith that is loving and serving others the way that Jesus loved and served us. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. I hope that you'll come. I hope that after this, you're going to be like, I think I'm busy next week. (laughs) I hope you'll come. If you're new to faith and you're learning how to take your first steps of faith, I want you to know, man, we value this. This is a healthy part of your spiritual development and growth, and we want to help you take your next steps. We want to help you in that. And and if if you're in this place and you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, stick around after service. I'd love to talk to you about that before you leave today. Or if you're here this morning and you are ready to step out of chair one, out of the camp chair. You said, I've been exploring this. I've been sitting on the sidelines for long enough. I'm ready to engage. I'm ready to jump in, put my faith in Jesus. I'm ready to start following him. And we would love to talk to you about that as well. Don't leave here today before you take your next step. Let's pray. God, thank you that you uh, don't give up on us. Lord, uh, thank you that 
that you are constantly um, drawing us closer to you, beckoning us to trust you more, to be more dependent on you. Lord, I'm grateful for the chair two folks that are in this room that uh, are new to faith, that are wanting to grow and learn and how to, how to feed themselves on your word, how to, how to pray, how to clean themselves up from their sin through confession and repentance. Lord, I pray that you will surround them with people who will love them and teach them how to love you more deeply. Father, for the person who is comfortable in the easy chair of chair two right now, God, I love them and I know that you love them even more. And in your love for them, you desire something more. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you've challenged them, maybe even convicted them, that it's time for them to get out of the easy chair and to take the next steps. Lord, that's hard. And so would you give them the courage to do that? The courage to come before you and say, yeah, God, I've, this is where I've been. To know that you still love them. And that uh, you want to propel them forward. Help us as a church to come alongside of them and to say, uh, we're not going to be content with this anymore. We want to give them a place to grow and to serve. Father, in all of this, thank you that uh, as your children, you never leave us, forsake us, you never give up on us. Your love is deep. And we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, before we go,